0: Thank you, Devin. It's uh, good to be back from a couple weeks in the Philippines and a week in Hume Lake, and I'm excited about this morning. In fact, uh, the big temptation, just as I was uh, praying before we come up, is uh, I really want to speak fast this morning. That's really my desire, but I'm going to try to resist that temptation. Uh, We're going to be looking at a great passage. As we think about today, today is the first Sunday in the month of September, and it seems to me it's like we're changing seasons. We're going to kind of go from the summer season and in the fall season. And one thing that's true about all of our lives, as we as we look back, we know what has happened, but as we look forward, we're not sure what to expect. Would that be true? And we have some ideas, we have some thoughts, but we really don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. And so this morning I was thinking as we kind of go in that new season of life, uh, ministries, some of our ministries that happen during the school year are starting up uh, in a couple of weeks, and as we look at life groups. I thought we'd take a a break from, uh, actually we've taken a break uh, this summer from our series in the book of Ephesians, Riches with Responsibilities, and just look at what the Bible says about seasons, about things that happen, and how we are prepared for what is happening and what will happen. And so as we think think about that, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do thank you for today. Uh, We thank you for the privilege of being in a place where we can worship you, and as we've already talked about Uh, Think about the cross and as we prepare our hearts for a time of remembrance, a time of communion, as we participate in the symbols of uh, our faith, uh, the body that was placed on the cross and the blood that was poured out for our forgiveness. Uh, We pray that we might be people of faith, uh, not just in words only, but in really the pattern of our life, that we might be people who trust, rely upon you and, and not look so much at the circumstances, but the Christ who who leads us and follows us uh, every day of our life if we have a relationship with him. And we just ask as we look into uh, your word that you might, might, you might speak into our lives. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to be looking at a, uh, a section of scripture that is a favorite uh, portion of God's word. And you know, this is a pretty big book. Uh, two-thirds of it is the Old Testament. One-third of it basically is the New Testament. The book of Psalms, for many, is a, a section people turn to all the time. I have to admit that this is, this is not one of the more uh, natural uh, places I turn to. I do habitually, but not uh, purposefully in terms of looking at the book of Psalms, because I'm basically not a poetic type of person. Uh, I, I don't write poems, don't sing poetically to my wife, and I'm just not a poetic type of person, and yet... Uh, the book of Psalms is a, is a section and really speaks into the heart. And as we think about it that this morning, I, I really want us to kind of reflect upon what God wants to be happening on the inside so we live it out on the outside. As I, I, as I picked a psalm this, for this Sunday, Psalm 63, I, initially I didn't know a whole lot about the psalm. I had read it many times, but I decided to kind of study it as we prepared for today. And I, and I found an interesting, and you could almost say curious, truth about this psalm. This psalm, uh, St. Christosom, uh, who was one of the early Christian heroes, uh, wrote of the initial leaders in the church after Jesus left. You know, he had the apostles, and, and they, uh, they trained the next line of pastors to lead the church. And this is what he wrote concerning Psalm 63. And if you haven't got the clue yet, turn to Psalm 63. Though it's in, most of it is in your text this morning, your outline this morning. But this is what Christosom wrote. He said, "It was decreed and ordained by the fathers." He speaks about the spiritual leaders of the first church that no day should pass without the public singing or reading of this psalm. Now, now when I read things like that, I think you know, the red flag or green flag, whatever sort of color you want to use. In terms, of, that means this psalm is pretty important. If in the early church they were to read it or sing it every day uh, this meant that this was pretty significant for them and maybe significant for our lives as well now the book of psalms basically was a a book of worship 150 expressions of worship Uh, many of it if not all of it was sung we don't really know the tune and so we can't necessarily sing this psalm this morning Uh, but we can read it. it was a it was an expression of worship it was a hymn book a chorus book it was also a book of prayers. And so it would be an expression of praise as well as an expression of prayer uh, to the God that they knew. An expression of, of their devotion to him. And, and so because of that practice in the early church that they would read it every day. Let's stand for the public reading of God's word this morning. Uh, go ahead and stand as I read Psalm 63 for us. It's 11 verses long in your outline. I only put 10 in there. That was my mistake. Uh, But let me read it to you as we think about following the example of the first church. Oh, God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise you. Thus, I will bless you while I live. I, I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with morrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches because you have been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. My soul falls close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek my life to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. For the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him shall glory. But the mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped. You may be seated. As we look at the book of Psalms, often we can look back and see what, what, was, the, what was the back story? What was the backdrop? What was the, the context of this being written? And, and as we think about worship, and worship when we gather together is public, but it's always personal as well. Each one of our lives are going through a variety of experiences, and we are trying to touch base with God and see how does God invade our souls to make a difference in, in how we live and how we handle life. And David, who is the proposed author of this psalm, has a backstory in which he wrote this. And those who study this particular psalm are a little bit challenged by the possibilities of two different things that are going on or have gone on in his life as he is writing this particular petition to God. And as I prepare to share a little bit of the background, what's interesting about this psalm, there's a variety of unique things about it. Uh, but one author wrote this about it. Uh, when, when you think about expressions of worship in, whether it be praise courses or hymns, uh, often there are words of exaltation to our God and, and proclaiming how majestic and great He is. But often in the expression of, Our worship, we are asking God to do something within our lives. We're asking for guidance. We're asking for Him to forgive us of our sins. We're asking for spiritual strength or whatever it might be. Uh, But this is what one author wrote. And then as I looked through the psalm, I I recognized it as well. He said, "A, a remarkable distinction of this psalm is that this is a song of praise and prayer. But in this psalm of prayer, there is no petition. There is joy and praise, exalted communion with God, a longing for his presence as the highest of all blessings. But there's not one word of asking for temporal or even spiritual good. That's that's an amazing statement, isn't it? Here's a recorded prayer that either was sung or stated to God. In which nothing is asked of God. Only that which is spoken about God. Now, God does invite us to ask of him. Like the Bible says, if you ask not, you have not. But really, when you think of the essence of of both worship and prayer, it's not trying to realign God with our will. But align our will with his will. It's not for us to come to God. To somehow change God. Make God do something he might not want to do. But because we're just pleading with him. He reluctantly says okay. But it's for us to come to God. And say God I need to be changed. I need to touch base with you. So that my life takes on the fragrance of walking. And knowing you deeply. Now. Now. Often uh, that is easier said than done, particularly when life is not going well for you. As people look at this portion, I started to say that earlier, they either think it comes from 1 Samuel or 2 Samuel. And really the the dating of those two books kind of focuses on the life of David and, and particularly who he's connecting with and wrestling with. In 1 Samuel, primarily the issue here, and, and what we have the context of this psalm is, is David is not in Jerusalem, he's not at, uh, in his palace, he's not in the place of rule or authority or power. He's now in the Judean wilderness. He's in the desert of life. Not a place you expect a king to be, or a king that is going to be. If it comes from 1 Samuel, it's really the story of, of David coming to the heights of, of being... Filled with the praise of all of God's people because he slayed Goliath, and then he became one who was on the on the bad side of the king, and Saul was after him to capture him and to take his life. Or, and most people would say it comes from this section of God's word, is that from 2 Samuel it tells the story, the true story, of, of a broken-hearted, not only king, but father, who had escaped. For his life, not from simply a competitor within the political arena, the first king of Israel, Saul. But it was one who wanted to be king, and it was his son. It was his son, Absalom, who because he felt disenfranchised from his father because of disobedience, he he, for four years, in a deceptive, conniving way, captured the hearts of many of God's people. And rose to power and at a moment in time was with just moments away from taking the life of his father and taking full reign in Israel. And if there's anything that would would capture the depth of pain within a person's life, it would be being betrayed by the closest of people that you know. A friend that that you have relied upon for years and now they have turned on you. A family member that you have given your all to and now they're the one not only stabbing you in the back but taking everything in front of you. And in the midst of this pain, we have this This expression of trust given to us. This was a season of life that David had never even imagined would ever happen. His son, probably his favorite son, had turned against him. And at that point, we we have two choices, basically. And really, this is, as I'm going to try to hang the truth on it this morning is is really four choices that we have. But a mix the four choices that come from the two choices is either we have a, a choice to turn to God or choose to turn away from God. David makes the right choice. He he chooses to turn to God. But not in a superficial way. And Of course, we always have to guard that because often what happens with people who who investigate Christianity or who participated in to, to a certain degree they, they try to just dabble in it well you know i 'll try jesus yeah I'll, I'll try the religious thing for a while well dabbling in God gets you absolutely nothing either you're going to get all in or you're going to be all out because when life turns the heat on and it touches us at the at the core of who we are we better not have a super superficial relationship with god so this morning what i want to do is, is look at this psalm and and just make some simple observations and hopefully as we think about again just even in the calendar moving from one season the summer season and the fall season but looking at it in a much bigger way whatever season of life you're in You've experienced what's happened and you're not really sure what's going to happen. And, and some of the things that are going to happen, I, I wish I could say God would preserve you from. But but in this sanctuary this morning, we will all face things that are overwhelming to us. And are we ready to choose to turn to God or are we are we already beginning to be tempted to turn away from him? Well, let's look at what it means to turn to Him. And let me tell you what I'm going to tell you just at the very beginning. We're going to look at four choices. Uh, the first choice is, is choose, uh, if you have your outlines this morning, we'll, we'll look at it. It's choose to be passionate for God. Secondly, choosing to be uh, to praise God. Third, choosing to pursue God. And fourthly, choosing to be protected by God. Choosing to be passionate for God. Choosing to praise God and choosing to pursue God and fourthly choosing to be protected by God. Well, let's look at what it means to be to choose to be passionate for God. Re-looking at that psalm, David announces in the midst of being in the wilderness, being in the deserts, and, and Spurgeon said this about David, he said, you know, he, he was in the midst of the wilderness, surrounded by the wilderness, by the desert experience of life. But there was no desert in his heart. Why? Because he he chose to be passionate about God. He expresses it this way in the psalm. He says, "O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land. It's interesting as as writers and those who know the Hebrew well, and it's translated actually in various ways and probably the sampling of translations we have in our sanctuary this morning, is when they come to the second line, early will I seek you. There are two ways that word seek. It's the word shakar in the Hebrew. It either means as David decides to be passionate about God, He makes the choice that he will begin every day first with him. We know what's important to us by, by what gets the priority in our life. What, what, things gets, what things get crowded out by the circumstances of life. Eventually we have to say, well, they weren't quite that important because something else was more important than what we thought we were going to do. And David would begin his day with God. And so the word shakar has the idea, comes from a noun as well as a verb that has the idea of a breaking of the day. And so he says, my God, you are my God. In the morning, I will meet with you. I'm taking the example of Jesus. Uh, Later on, it says in Mark chapter 135 that Jesus arose up early in the morning while it was still dark to spend time in prayer with God. Others, however, said that's not really the emphasis here. The emphasis is not when you seek God, but how fervently you seek God. And so they'll translate this, not early will I seek you. They'll say, earnestly will I seek you. Now, I'm basically a morning person almost by fault. Uh, People who are around me in the morning don't like to be around me in the morning. I mean, I just wake up alive, okay, and I'm usually loud in the morning, and I'm ready to go in the morning, and I'm getting it, trying to get everybody else in the morning, I can't understand why anybody else would not want to be just excited about being alive in the morning, uh, and I could take this verse and say, I think I prefer to be early, I will seek you, but I, I think the emphasis is not so much the time of day, but the passion during your day. If you're more a night person, then reserve that time when you are most alert to connect with God. And again, don't make it superficial. Focus on Him. And make sure that that you are are soaking deep in the love that God has for you. And so as we think about passion, passion can be spelled by a four-letter word. T-I-M-E. It's time. It's time given to God where, where you focus your mind and attention and heart to him. And he describes as I want you to know how, how passionate I want to meet with you because my soul, just like my physical body in this desert who needs water, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you as in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Uh, you know, it's interesting when I'm gone, sometimes, in fact, not sometimes, all the time, I will listen to the messages that are preached when I'm not here. and It's amazing to me how many times the story of my getting lost gets repeated when I'm gone. I just, I don't understand that at all. Well, some of you know that well, where we vacationed this past week was in Hume Lake, which is the place that I prefer to say that I was simply not lost, but temporarily unaware for a moment a few hours where I was, okay? And, you know, it, it was interesting. I had a chance with Steve and I. We went and actually rode our bikes into that area where I had somehow forgotten where I was for a period of time. You know, and, and it's, it's, a, it's a hot place. And, 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 you know, kind of flooded back in my mind, you know, the, the hours in which, uh, you know, I was, I was pretty dehydrated. And, uh, you know, I was longing for water. And so when I read passages like this, it's like in Psalm 42 where it says, The deer pants for the water, so I pant for you, O God. It, it, that's the passion we need to have when we really want to go deep in our connection with God. Each one of us know God as well as we want to. We're not comparing ourselves with how much data in the Bible somebody else knows compared to us, but how much we long to spend time with. David goes on in this section. He says, I I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. And if we take the context of this psalm as being as he fled from his son Absalom into the Judean wilderness. he, He looks back at his other experiences where where he had normally connected with God. And maybe there are some favorite places for you that that just bring back times where maybe you first met God or. Or where, uh, you know, a special experience, maybe it was a camp, maybe it was, you know, a, a particular portion of scripture or whatever it might be. Or a, there's a worship song that connects you. Uh, for, for, for David, it was, it was Jerusalem. But he, he discovered that, that God is not restricted to a certain location or to a certain experience. Because wherever we go, God goes with us. And so, even in the sanctuary of the wilderness, he met with God. So, as we as we look about the seasons of life, and as we go through some experiences that maybe we're, we're we're feel like we're feeling like we're falling, you know, we have a choice. You know, either either we're gonna fall downward, or we're gonna we're gonna fall upward. Now, just in case you hear this rumor that why I was in Hume Lake, that I had a falling experience. Um, um, if it wasn't on tape, I wouldn't tell you about it. All right, but anyway. Uh, but but I, I want to make this, this statement. Uh, I may or may not tell you that story. But anyway, uh, I want to take this phrase in verse 2. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary. Uh, the word that looked there in, in some translations, it says to see. It, it really has the idea of having spiritual insight. Have you noticed know some people see things and some people don't? I mean, there. Uh, I have spatial problems. When my wife asks me to find something in the refrigerator, man, I, for whatever reason, I cannot find what she says is right in front of me. And, and so you can look but not see. The idea here is not simply, you know, seeing physically, but at seen spiritually. In the passage in Job, it, it talks about that, that people see God from afar, how great He is. Do you see how great God is? And even then it goes on in Job 36 and saying, but we don't understand Him completely. And isn't that the challenge of knowing God, is that no matter how much you think you know about God, you still don't know Him enough? And so as, as David made it the passion of his life to be passionate about God, he wanted to see Him with the eyes of spiritual insight. But he goes on in this psalm, and he, and he chooses not only to be passionate about God, he chooses to praise God. And in verse 3 through uh, 6, he has these words. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my, my lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with morrow and fatness. And my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. What is it about God that you praise him for? Now, that could be a whole sermon series. But, but David begins with the one that's probably the most familiar theme in the book of Psalms, if not the entire Old Testament, where he says, because your loving kindness is better than life. How much do we understand how much God loves us? And how much that we ought to just marvel at that thought that he makes this comparison to know God loves you is better than life itself. Paul put it this way in Philippians chapter one, verse 21, for me to live is Christ, but to die is what gain? Why? Because he'd be in the presence of the one who loves him so deeply. This is a word. The word loving kindness is almost untranslatable for those who've ever heard of this or read this in some scholarly uh explanation of the Old Testament. It's the word chesed. It's it's the equivalent of what we would say in the New Testament, agape. It is is a love only God expresses. It is is better than life. And because that, his only response is I've got to praise you. And when you think about praise, in this text, interesting enough, is is a lot of the ways we ought to praise God. I mean, and using all of who we are to praise him. Uh, just looking at the text. In in the second line of, of verse 3, it says, My lips will praise you. How shall we praise you with our with our lips? Um, then he goes on and says, Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in you. We ought to, we ought to praise God with our hands. Now, uh, that's a physical expression of God. It's not just as we sing. In fact, in, in Psalm 28, verse 2, often when we maybe been around the table, uh, usually I'm the designated you, know, you have designated drivers if you're a pastor you're the designated prayer you know if it's in public gatherings okay let's have the pastor pray well uh normally when you pray if you pray in public you, you say okay everybody fold their hands and bow their their head look at psalm 28 verse 2 do not take away uh with the wicked and uh, verse 2 hear the voice of my supplications when i when i cry to you when i lift up my hands toward your holy sanctuary Next time you're at a family meal, everybody wants you to pray, really give them this. It's okay. Instead of bowing our heads and and folding our hands, let's all lift our hands, okay? Basically, it's an expression of surrender. As we pray, God, I'm surrendering myself to you. I'm yielding myself fully and completely to you. I, I raise up my open hands that I might recognize every good thing comes from you. Now, whether you do that physically or whether you do that internally, it's, it's an expression that as we praise God, we ought to praise Him with our lips, and we ought to praise Him with lifted hands. Go back to Psalm 103. I mean, Psalm 63. It goes on, and then He goes, Not only should we praise Him with our lips, we ought to praise Him with our hands. He says, My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. What is He saying there? From your innermost being, you need to express, This is where... True satisfaction comes. Some of you know that when we were in the Philippines, that they just they just fed us so so well. And often, uh, as, as they would have a, a big celebration meal, they would they would they would take a pig, and and they would they would kill the fatted pig. Somebody killed the fatted pig one time. Okay, and, and it's interesting as you as you're in the Philippines, and they they roast the pig usually for hours on hours. And, you know, you participate in the delicacies of that, that roasted pig. You know, what they enjoy more, at least the idea I got, the part that they liked better than anything else was the, the skin. They would, they would chop it off. So you've got you to have this. You've got to taste this. And I'm thinking, what do I want to taste burnt skin for, right? But for them, that was the delicacy. And basically, what he's saying here is: we think about praying, We praise God with our lips. We praise God with our hands. We praise God by from within, saying, "This is this is this is the delicacies of life. It doesn't get any better than this. This this is the this is the skin on the roasted pig, or whatever delicacy that you enjoy." And for for David, in the midst of the pain of his son stabbing him in the back, trying to take his kingdom. He said, more important than that is the satisfaction I have within in the relationship with my God. He goes on there and says, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. He praises him with his mouth. When I remember you on my bed, he praises him with his memories. And I meditate on you in the night watches. Some translation says, I think on you in the night watches. Which simply means that the night watches... In the Old Testament days, there were three types of watches. In the, in the New Testament, the Romans had four different watches. So, so those of us who wake up in the middle of the night for a variety of reasons, uh, is that every time I wake up, I use that as an opportunity to think about you. You know, the word, the word meditate simply has the idea of pondering and reflecting. So as is, is he chose... In the midst of the season of life that he did not want to be in. He had no expectation of ever experiencing that. He said, I choose to be passionate about you. Beginning the day or at least earnestly giving you all that I am. Coming to you as as a person parched, dehydrated, in need of water. I come to you, as Jesus said, as to the living water in which you'll never thirst again. And then I choose to praise you with my lips and with my mouth and with my inner being, with focusing on you as the satisfaction of my soul. I think upon you and reflect upon you multiple times, not only during the day, but during the evening. As the psalmist said in Psalm 1, verse 2, I I delight in the law of the Lord and I will meditate upon your word day and night. He chooses to be passionate about God. He chooses to be uh, to praise God. He chooses to pursue God. Look at verses uh, seven and eight. He says, "Because you have been my help, therefore in the shadow of the wings I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me." It's interesting. Again, as you as you read authors uh, comment on sections of scripture, sometimes again you're just you're amazed at some. Some statements that are made about certain sections, and one writer said about verse seven, which we just read, which is, "Because you have been my help, therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice said of that particular verse he said that one verse is a summary of all one hundred and fifty psalms i 'm thinking you 've got to be kidding me you saying that verse describes every other main idea in the book of psalms and i think that might have been a little bit overstated but but even coming close to making that kind of statement legitimate what is he saying here is the book of psalms an expression of of god's people many of the psalms written by david an expression to god in the midst of all all circumstances of life times of great despair because of not someone else's actions toward you but your actions toward God or others. Often David would have to write in the midst of being aware of his own sin. His own shortcomings to God. And, and recognizing that God was a forgiving, gracious, merciful God. Or in the heights of praise because of the, the temporal blessings God had given. And he was just overwhelmed by God's provision. Or in times like this where in the wilderness of life. Not knowing what's going to happen next. And, and yet trusting God. And really the expression here, because you have been my help, that the book of Psalms really is an expression of the heart of God's people, and particularly the writers of Psalms, is that God is the source of our help. Now, that's a, such a simple statement, yet where do we turn most naturally when things need to be rescued? And God gives all kinds of resources around us that we should use, but... But he wants us, first of all, to turn to him. You know, Matthew 6, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness in all these things. All these things that you're so worried about will, will be handled by me. It doesn't mean we're going to escape all the challenges of life. I mean, look what David was in, but he said, God is the source of my help. And then the idea, therefore, in the shadow of your rings, I will rejoice. I think, well, what's, what's the word picture here? Again, in the sense of the, of the wilderness or the desert, the heat is, is pounding upon David. And when you're in the midst of heat, all you're looking is for some place of what? Shade. I did a wedding on, uh, on Friday uh, down, at, down at the beach, and it was right at 4 o'clock, right in the heat of the day. And and everybody was melting. The wedding party had decided that they were going to be out on the sand uh, without their sandals. They are going to be barefoot until they stepped on the sand. (laughs) And and then then it was a gracious act of God. All of a sudden, there was a cloud cover that came over the, the pounding sun on that sand. There was relief because there was a shadow. Of God's blessing. And and so. As David is going through this season of life. He's just recognizing that. That God is the source of his help. And even in the midst of a shadow. The shadow of a a wing. Even if it was a great eagle. Would be maybe temporary. Or it would just be a section. And and yeah that's. That's all we need from God. It's just a drop of his mercy. And a drop of his grace. Recognizing again, no matter really what happens next, whether he rescues us or he gives us the ability to endure what we're going through. His help and his shade is sufficient. My soul falls close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. And the word uphold simply means to be given strength. And and that's really what we need from God. Is this the strength to go through whatever he brings us? And that's really the theme of that familiar verse in the New Testament where where Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who what? Strengthens me. And again, that strength. Paul was in prison. He was just saying the context. I've learned to, to do well when I got a lot and when I have very little. When I have abundance or I have very few things. And that's the strength to go through whatever life brings you. Well, we're going to close in two minutes here. And, and many writers, as they look at Psalm 63, says, well, why didn't he just put a period here and stop? Again, um, because God was inspiring him. And also because we need to recognize that life happens. And so, David chooses to be protected by God. And the contrast is those who choose not to. Listen as I read verses 9 and 10 and add verse 11 as well. But those who seek my life to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for the jackals. Verse 11. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him shall glory But the mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped. Really what we have here is the contrast between a father and a son. One who swore allegiance to the true God. And one who swore allegiance to his own glory and to his own might and his own desires. And as we think about a psalm like this, which speaks about about God being sufficient, God being our help in whatever season of life we're going to go through or handling any season that has already happened to us. There is is the alternative. And and that's to go through the season of life without God. And, And the Bible is very clear. That God is gracious and merciful, but he's also holy and just. He has a place prepared for all those who know him and love him, but there's a place of judgment and destruction. And that word in the first line of verse 9, but to those who seek my life to destroy it. The idea there for destruction here is, is divine judgment. You think you're destroying me, but what's going to happen is you're going to be destroyed. The jackals will consume you. You will be like the defeated enemy in which the animals come and just pick the bones. And Zephaniah, which, you know, grace is where in the world is Zephaniah? It's the fourth last book of the Old Testament. It uses the same word about the judgment that is to come for those who are not under the protective hand of God who haven't cried out for his mercy. Well, what's the point this morning? Are you ready for your next season? For many of you, it'll it'll be a season of abundance and, and provision of God and the joys of God being a gracious and Um, loving, giving God. But for some, it will be a a season of challenge in which your faith will be tested. And, And your choice is to either fall downward or to fall upward. To choose to be passionate for God, to be filled with praise to God, to be a person who pursues God, and to be be protected by God. Let's be like David, who, in the midst of a season of life he did not want to endure, learn once again that God is good. He's good all the time, even when things are not good. And we can choose to trust Him. Let's pray. Father, the grace expression of that is found at the cross. Where you suffered the judgment that we were deserving of. The judgment for our sin. And and yet, because of your loving kindness, you offer us life with you. Father, as we remember the the cup and the bread, might each of us be honest about where our, our relationship with you is right now. Are we trusting you or are we running from you? And maybe we've never made that step. And if we've never made that step to trust you, might we just open up our lives, surrender our lives to the living Christ, ask him to forgive us of our sins, and to lead us in life. As we remember you through the cup and the bread, might we remember your love. And we praise in Christ's name. Amen. If you've never uh, had communion with us before, it's it's just self-serve.